Peace, peace, and welcome to another installment of Cook on Monday Morning. At Cook on Monday Morning, we are creating lives that make us excited about Monday morning. We believe that if we can own Monday morning, we can own the week. If we can own the week, we can own the year. And if we change our year, we can change our lives. So I'm so excited to uh, be in conversation on this platform with this gentleman. I had the great fortune of meeting them through our incredible work together at Mission Bit. Uh, little did I know he was making big thing happen, big things happen in the tech space uh, at multiple companies. And he has been uh, a great advisor, mentor, and friend. Mr. Clive Downey currently serves as the chief marketing officer at uh, this company called Unity. You might've heard of it. It's kind of big, it's kind of important. <laughs> but today we're gonna talk about his story uh, get into the lessons he's learned, the insights he's had, and um, a bunch of other cool stuff too. Mr. Downey, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Stephon. I appreciate being here. appreciate you. I'm, I'm humbled to be here. So it's a, it's a real delight. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Any, any, any time that I get to spend with you is always a, a valuable use of time, my friend. So yeah. let's, go. let's go. Thank you for having me. Yeah, there's so many stories that we could talk about too, just about our interactions with each other. Because I was thinking about, and this is sometimes I ask people this, like, do you remember how we met? Yeah, no, I don't. Okay, cool. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> apologies, apologies for that. And that's just not, that's because I have a, I'm getting old and I have a terrible memory. It's not because of a memorable mo- a lack of a memorable moment. Oh, uh, tell me, remind me. I mean, I'm guessing you probably leave a stronger impression on other people than they might leave on you. But. Not, not at all. But, but uh, yeah, it was our, It was the interview for the CEO position. I was at one of these offices. It might have been uh, Zynga. And we were sitting down and you asked me these like really deep, like insightful questions. Do you have some standard interview questions that you ask people when they... Do you know what I, I, uh, I may have done in the past? I try not to now maybe get too deep and insightful because I, uh, I've kind of, maybe I've mellowed a bit, but... I, you know, I don't have a standard set of questions to ask people. It's really about kind of what I'm feeling about the person at the time. Mm. And, uh, you know, sometimes my interviews are probably really boring because I, the people that I'm meeting don't inspire me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a separate thing. I, I just always want to understand. I always like to understand why mm-hmm. people do things, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, maybe many interviews are always around what, you know, what did you do? Tell mm-hmm. me what you did you never get to why. And I think why is a very important question. You know, it's always a very important question to ask on anything. You get mm-hmm. to the heart of the matter. You get to the, you get to the root cause by asking why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's, I, I'd say that was my one rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wish, I wish I would have written it down. I just remember I, if I could just recap like the, you know, it was unlike any other sort of first conversation I've had around the position. And I've, and I talked to, you know, I talk to a lot of people all the time. Like, why should I vote for you? Why should I give you money? But the feeling I got, I was like, oh, I got to really think about this. And I mean, it's just to say that you leave an impression on people. Oh, and- hey, <laughs> so, do, so do you. And by the way, you know, you, you said in your intro, the partnership that we had uh, as you were CEO of Mission Bit. I mean, look, I, I just, I was an observer to the great work that you did for that organization. So, you know, all of the incredible growth in there is down to you. And I'm always a huge proponent of what you've been able to achieve. And it's just the beginning. So, you know, congratulations on, on that journey that you had and that chapter. 
Yeah, yeah. Who wasn't alone? Um, so let's talk. Let's talk a little about your current position, and then we'll go into your backstory. So tell me about Unity, Chief Marketing Officer. I'll tell you about Unity, and then I'll, I won't dwell on what I do because, again, mm-hmm. to your point, it's a te- it's a team. We're we're in it together at Unity. So I have a wonderful team I work with every day, of uh, you know three and a half thousand people in Unity over. So, mm-hmm. but Unity is uh, at its heart, we've evolved from, um, and we still are a game engine. Now, a game engine allows people making games to create that game. They don't have to make the tools to bring their idea to life. They can use Unity, and Unity has all of the component parts that you need. Uh, you know, the animation components, the art, the rendering components, the lighting components, the sound components, the control components, the user interface components. You don't have to worry about any of that. Unity has it there for you. And it allows you to to spend more time on your creativity, which is where the difference is made. Uh, And then what Unity does is it packages everything up that you've made and compiles that for any number of over 20 different platforms that you might want to put your idea onto. Xbox, PlayStation, iPhone, Android, Oculus, Vive, etc. cetera. Uh, so it's very efficient in that way. You can reach a large number of people by using the Unity platform. Um, so it, it aids creators uh, by giving them the power of uh, real-time 3D to bring their idea to life. That's mostly personified in gaming. But more and more people are understanding that that medium which really just allows interactivity in the idea. If you think about what games are, they allow you to interact with things. Well, think about everything else that you'd want to interact with. Why wouldn't you want to interact with a car configurator? Why wouldn't you want to interact with an interior housing model for, your, for the interior of your house? Why wouldn't you want to interact with uh, a movie, maybe, or a TV show? And so all these people creating that content are realizing that Unity has uh, capabilities for them. So we're starting to move and build from gaming into, into other mediums and I think really real-time 3D and Unity can be the medium of the future for all digital content. So that's where we are. That's where we're going. That's a little bit about what we do. And what I do is, you know, I uh, am responsible for many different parts of the business, but along with it, in it together with a great team. And we make sure that we're making the right product for the right people. We make sure that we're letting the right people know that the product exists, coming up with the narrative and the story of the company and how we're positioned uh, in the space. And, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful to work with a, a great set of people there all, all the times. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the best thing I've ever done. I've, I've had been really fortunate to do some amazing things in my life. Mm. Just, just, you know, let's just say it, drop dead lucky mm. to do the things that I've done in my life. This is the best thing that I've been able to do because it's right place, right time. It's trans- transformative. And, you know, I think we're a company of consequence, which means we are radically changing the lives of uh, firstly, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of people who want to be creators from any walk of life. But then we're also changing the lives of the consumers of that creativity because they get to experience it. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm excited about it. Mm. Hopefully mm. you can tell. <laughs> I can, I can. Yeah, that's why you have that job too because now I'm excited. <laughs> right. Tell the story. Well, the, the, so the, you know, I, I name every episode after the guest. So this is like the Clive Downey story. So we have to get into Clive. I know one of the first questions people are going to answer, ask is like, where is that accent from? It's from England. It's from, uh, it's from the very southwest of England. Uh, I was born in Devon. It was a very rural community. I, I kind of you know, grew up. The, the places I grew up in England uh, were, they're not even called villages. They're, they're smaller than villages. And things that are smaller than villages in England are called hamlets, right? 
and uh, there's probably some definition of a hamlet. Maybe it doesn't have a church. I think that might be it. Mm. Villages can have churches. Hamlets don't have churches. I don't know. There's probably someone out there who can correct me. But, you know, there was no more than about 10 other houses in these places, mm. uh, surrounded by fields. More, there's more livestock than there are people. Mm. So that's where I'm from. It's a be- be- beautiful area, but mm. not much going on. What was, what was your home situation like? You have siblings? What were your parents like? I have a brother... Uh, and my parents divorced when I was uh, 10, 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I lived with my mother and my stepfather, um, and my dad remarried. My dad had new, had other, uh, children. So now, you know, I also now have another brother and another sister mm-hmm. uh, from his second marriage. So yeah, that was it. You know, it was my mum worked. Thankfully, she's a chef, right? mm. so she worked. Uh, she was teaching people how to cook at that time. That's what she did, which was cool. So there was always great food in the house and kind of learning how to cook was great. Uh, and then my dad was never there. I mean, he was, uh, he, he, worked, he was an engineer and worked kind of in the North Sea in the oil business. Like, in, like he was deep down in engine rooms, mm. getting grubby all day and, you know, mm. hot places getting grubby. <laughs> Mm. And I never saw him. I mean, he was always, he was always away six months at a time. And then he'd come back and, you know, try and be the father figure and then leave again and mm. all of that. And then I lived with my mum and stepdad. And my stepdad was an ex-military guy. And, you know, you get, you get all the value of living with an ex-military guy, who, mm. uh, which isn't great when you're growing up and a teenager and you want to rebel. <laughs> but, but it's great later on when you realize, like most things, you, you, you get to a point in life and you know, you look back and you go, that really sucked. Mm-hmm. And, but it really taught me a lot and I'm thankful for it and I wouldn't change anything. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. Well, I know you're a parent now. You probably have some, some lessons you can share on that. You know, I'm not, I'm not a parent, so you can give some non-parents some advice because I, I want to, I want to stay on childhood for a minute and there's a lot of that I want to get into around yeah, what's, sure. what's happening currently with tech and like people leaving the city and like all of that and everything. And so, um, I just happen to know, so you, you know, so you, you go, you grow up, did, were you always in this area, this hamlet, or did you go and transition into a city in high school or what, what happened? No, I was always in the hamlet or another one. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I never, I didn't live in a city until I was, uh, until I left home. I always mess up the story. Did you end up dropping out of high school or college? High school. Okay. I didn't go, to, I didn't go to college. Okay. What happened? What happened there? What was the story around? Well, I didn't, you know, in, in England, you uh, I didn't drop out of high school. I, I went at the end of high school. I mean, in England, you can you can leave school at sixteen, um, or you can go into another level of school uh, for two years, a high school for two years, and then leave at eighteen and go to go to college, university. Um, I stayed until I was eighteen. Actually, I, I was never eighteen. I was only seventeen. I was because I was for some reason based on my birthday, I was always a year ahead at school. Right, so I was always in a group of kids who were significantly older than me, right? When you're that, when you're that age, which actually had a marked impression on me, I think. Again, you don't know it at the time, but then you know it when you get older. And, uh, and so I left after that extra two years of high school. I left when I was 17, didn't go to college. Everyone else I was with, with the exception of me and my friends, who were kind of like, you know, you get the tight group at high school. Everyone else was like, well, we're going to go to this university and this university. And the three of us were like, screw that. We're not going to go to university. Mm. Let's, let's, let's find our way in the world. 
let's leave this place. Let's mm-hmm. go and do something big. So it, it was, it was that clear. It was like, let's leave this world. Let's like, like what was on your, what did you want to do at that time? Well, I think we all had kind of wanderlust. So, you know, you got to remember these are, these are kids who just 16 and 17, you, you're having your formative years in a rural environment, 1989, oh. right? 1989. Oh. It's England in 1989. So you're like, well, it's a bit destitute down here. You know, and there's not much services there. There's retail. Again, you don't know all of this at the time. It's just kind of like, these are my options in macro slices, you know. Uh, and you spend most of your days daydreaming and thinking about other things, right? And uh, you want to get out of there. I, I, will, I will share with you, and I don't think I've ever, I don't know if I've told many people this, but seeing as we're on the subjects and you're, you're asking me to open up, I mean, I... I spent many of my formative years, if I wasn't kind of trying not to learn at school, because I hate people telling me what to do, so I, I didn't do much. <laughs> couldn't stand, didn't get many qualifications. I, I can't to this day stand people telling me what to do. It's, my, it's a big failing of mine. And um, I'd spend most of my time lying on my back in a field, right, looking up at the sky, watching airliners pass over at 30,000 feet on their way to somewhere else. So where I lived in England is right at the end of England as airliners go out into the Atlantic on their way to other places. I didn't know this at the time. I, mean, I know it now because I love aviation. So you'd see these airliners just root overhead or overhead and you'd be like just gazing up at the sky, daydreaming all day long, going, where are they going? I want to go where they're going. I don't want to be here. And so, you know, the first opportunity I get to not be there, um, I take it. And uh, it, was, it was an opportunity to go and live in uh, West London with, uh, I call it West London, it's actually not West London, it's Slough, which is where the original office was created, the office, the TV show. Okay. So if anyone knows that, it's there. It's, it's yeah. West London is like, it's, it's kind of given it a bit of a positioning upgrade. But uh, <laughs> it was, um, it's, it's Slough. It is certainly west of London, but it is not in West London. Okay. And, um, and so I lived, I, I, we had an opportunity to go and live, stay there uh, short term, it was like, come, come up for four weeks and stay with one of my friend's brothers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See if you like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we took it. We were like, yes, we're going to go and do that. So, you know, a mixture of wanderlust, a mixture of knowing we didn't want to be where we were, a mixture of kind of attitudinally, attitudinally us saying yes to kind of any opportunity, which is a theme, by the way. Um, we, we went up there and we never looked back. So it didn't, you know, four weeks turned into six months, turned into a year. We all got jobs and that was the start. What was that first job? You remember? First job. Well, the first job I had there, I mean, I had lots of jobs growing up as well. So, you know, one of the things that I was never sure of, because again, I had to, you know, I had, I had a, like I said, I had a stepfather who was kind of like, you need to learn the basics in life. And the basics in life are, you got to work. You get nothing. You get nothing for free, right? So, you know, I'm not going to drive you to your friend's house. By the way, my friends live like 15 miles away, yeah? Mm-hmm. That, that's the, <laughs> the distance we're talking about. I'm not going to take you to your friend's house. You want to go to your friend's house, you can ride your bike, mm-hmm. right? I ride my bike 15 miles to my friend's house and back mm-hmm. again, right? On roads that were main roads, like, and, and then small country roads. And like, when you're, you're leaving on a Saturday at 10 o'clock, you get to your friend's house at 1, 
you stay at your friend's house until it gets dark and you ride back in the dark 15 mm-hmm. miles, mm-hmm. you know, and you're, and you're like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I never got given anything other than like loving parents and a roof over my head and great food. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a good life. I'm not saying it wasn't. But my, my stepfather would always be like, you, you got you to you earn that. You want something, you can earn it. So I always had jobs. I had like paper rounds that got me up at 5.30 in the morning from when I was 10 years old, you know, and I'd have to go on a paper round, rain or shine or snow. I'd have uh, a milk round, like in England, they deliver milk to the doorstep. So I did that as like the, the, the little guy who sat next to the milkman and actually did all the work, right? Again, super early jobs. Um, I worked in retail when I was like 15. Uh, I worked in bars when I was 16, just before I left school. You know, so I, I always, I, I started to realize the value of work, right? And kind of, you didn't get something for nothing. So I was always working from a, from a young age. And again, I think that taught me a lot that I'm, respect, that I'm very grateful for. But my first job leaving school was, uh, I was an assistant manager at a movie theater. Mm. Because... Because I could, because I, it, it just happened, right? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I needed a job. I was looking in the in the paper, not on the internet at the time. I was, <laughs> I was looking in the paper. That's yeah, why it's no yeah. internet. And uh, I'm looking in the paper, and it's like assistant manager, uh, Canon Cinemas. That was the name of the, of the cinema group, but not movie theaters, cinemas in England, like so mm-hmm. wonderfully, so wonderfully exotic. And uh, and I applied for this job, and I went to meet the area manager for Canon mm. Cinemas. In, now, this was in the middle of London. This was in the West End in London because the head office was in the West End in London. I'm 17 years old, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a borrowed suit and I'm meeting this guy who is probably 65, right? He's mm. been in this business all his life. Mm. It's at the top of this really antiquated movie theatre in uh, London's West End and he's sitting there chain smoking and he's like, so what What? what a why do you want this job? I'm like, you know what, sir? I'm, uh, I, I know I work hard. Uh, I get on with people. You know, I'm polite. I just talk to him about what I've done. You know, maybe about, you know, I've realized the value of hard work and blah, blah, blah. And he went, okay, you've got the job. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, you've got the job. Uh, the job's in Slough, which is where I lived. It was assistant manager of a 12-screen multiplex. The, and it was 11 until 11 every day, 11 a.m. till 11 p.m. every day, 12-hour shifts. Mm. And there'd be a main manager on and then me, two people. And we'd be managing uh, about 70 people who were all older than me. Nice. <laughs> and, and the best thing about it as well was, you know, it was an interaction with, with people, with, with customers, with consumers. Right. And, it, you know, it, it gave me a lot. It, thrust me into a uh, into a world where i had to make decisions quickly based off of not always the right information which i think is a skill that has stayed with me mm-hmm. it thrust me into a world of having to have empathy with uh, customers who were unhappy with employees who had problems mm-hmm. uh it thrust me into a world you know where the customer's always right and you you work hard to make sure that people are happy mm-hmm. and you know and and you know, responsibilities. Well, it just give, gives you responsibility for yourself and for other people, which was important. Again, I didn't know it at the time, but you just get thrown in and you have to either sink or swim. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I did that for about a year and a half. And then they moved me for some reason. They were really happy with me and they moved me to their brand new movie theater 
in more inside London. It was their flagship. And they, they put their, I didn't know it at the time, but they put their supposed flagship staff there. So they put me there. Mm-hmm. And again, so I'm, I'm 18 now. And mm-hmm. I've got, you know, it's just baffling looking back on it that I was doing it. And uh, so I, I did that. And, um, you know, it, it, it taught me all of those things. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like my calling. Right, 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 right. Yeah, there are some important leadership lessons. I was going to ask you that, like, what were the key lessons that still stayed with you? And you just laid that out. Um, But yeah, all of that, all those are really important in any type of like service focused or people focused. Like we all are doing business with the public in order to improve or um, create an experience for people. And so you, you get all that experience early and somehow you end up in the States. Like how, how did that happen? Well, look, I, I, so let me tell you that I, what, one of the, one of my principles that I didn't realize I was, I, I had, but then I did realize that I had, it was, I tried to always seize opportunity if it was presented to me. So don't ask me twice, you know, mm. after doing the movie theater thing, I started, I, I got an opportunity to go and work at electronic arts. So EA, because my, one of my other friends, remember there was three of us who kind of went up to the, to the city. One of my other friends started working at EA as customer service and it's quality assurance for games. And he was there a year, year and a half. And then he said to me, there's another opening. Come, uh, why don't you come? Now, one of, the, one of the few things that I liked, I mean, if I could say, go back then and say I like, was video, I like video games, you know. I, love, I saved up for a computer with, with all the jobs that I told you I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I love to program a little bit. I love playing games. They were released. So, you know, to work for EA was a big deal. And I got the job. Right? And I was, by then I was like 18 and I was customer service and QA, which again was fundamental to some of the things which I've been able to do through life. You know, if, you, if you're, and, and the business that I've been in as well for, for many, many decades. So it taught me the value of working with people making things and makers and creators so that I can understand the process of making games. And it again told me about how to deal with, with customers who were unhappy or happy or questioning or stuck or, you know, had challenges. And that's a big deal. And it taught me to communicate in both ways about the product, you know, about the game. I could communicate to customers, I could communicate to developers. And, you know, I just, uh, I was just right place, right time. And a lot of people believed in me and said, you'd be great in marketing because you, you're a kid who knows how to communicate things just innately. Why don't you try your hand at some marketing? And, you know, I was really thankful. This was, again, like early 90s, 92, 93. And um, I got given some products to market in England that today people are like, seriously? So you're in England and I'm, I was marketing Madden football in England. Nice. So, I was going to talk about Madden. Yeah, I was, I was marketing Madden yeah, football yeah, in England. Like, they were like, hey, yeah, yeah, market this, would you? I was marketing NHL hockey in England. I was marketing NBA <laughs> Live in England. Right? Yeah. So big splash in the US, big, but right. in England, it's kind of like, hey, let's just try and do some stuff with them in Europe. And they gave them to me. Basically, I, I moved all the way up through EA. I was so thankful to have really great leaders and mentors and people who believed in me. And, uh, you know, fast forward to your question to... Uh, 2006, I think. Um, I'm I'm on a plane to LA to start my life there, mm. and uh, because I'd been offered a role in our LA office at EA, 
And again, it's an opportunity. Someone had said to me, and I, I distinctly remember the conversation. It was in passing and someone had said to me, when are you going to come work for me in America? And you never let that go, right? That's an opportunity. That's a door that you walk through. If you, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And I said, uh, I said, you just, just ask me. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm asking you. I'm like, okay, let's make it happen. He went, all right, let's make it happen. Uh-huh. And then two months later, I was on a plane to LA. Uh-huh. Right? And um, that's, that's, that's why. That's, that's why I got this. So it's a long way of answering your question, Steve-On. Is that? No, it's, it's, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. Um, and, uh, you know, seizing the opportunity, seizing opportunity, it's, 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 uh, it reminds me of the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read that book or heard no, about no. that book, but um, it's like a key line in it. A lot of the, the, the guy who wrote in Napoleon Hill um, was was sort of a, a protege, or he was following around Andrew Car- Andrew Carnegie. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, people that don't know Andrew Carnegie was like a billionaire millionaire way back in the eighty eighteen hundreds or something like that, early nineteen hundreds, whenever it was. <laughs> and so Carnegie asks Hill, um, "Would you like to shadow me and learn these lessons?" And Hill said, "Yes, immediately." And Carnegie said, if you didn't say yes, if it took you, if you, if you took time to do it, I would have said no, yeah. because um, yeah. you weren't a bit serious about opportunity. So yeah, same lesson. <laughs> it's the same lesson. And it, you know, when opportunity comes knocking, you take it because it's going to happen to someone else and you'll miss your shot. So mm-hmm. um, was that your I, first time in the States? It was my first time living in the States. It wasn't my first oh. time in the States. I mean, I, thankfully um, I, I kind of had a, a dream since I was 18 and worked at EA and had met Californians and, and other Americans, but generally Californians. Uh-huh. I, I, I thought I should, I, I should be in America. These uh-huh. people, these people are people that I, I like to be around. They are uh, risk taking. They are pleasant to each other. <laughs> they, uh-huh. they, they, um, they have a dream. Uh-huh. Uh, they, you know, they work hard. Mm-hmm. They have fun working hard, you know, so all of the traits that were true and may, you know, maybe are, may, are still true today, but, um, I, I, I thought I, I, that's where I need to be. That's mm-hmm. my, that's where I need to be. And I knew that from when I was 18 or 19 mm-hmm. and that's why I always wanted to be there. So it was a, it was a really big moment for me and mm-hmm. I traveled there on business and, you know, had good times there and met good people and seen for myself. Um, yeah, and I just, I, I just wanted to be there. Well, I want to talk about Madden for a second um, before we kind of get into your other tech career ventures. Madden changed everything <laughs> growing up. Like everyone, I mean, the cultural impact of Madden on America was like crazy, right? And it's like all we played. And I, and I was terrible. Madden convinced me though, not to play video games because I used to always get spanked. I used to always just get like crushed. And I was like, I'm never doing this. This is stupid. I'm never doing it. And so I never got into video games. I think there was like another one. I think there was like a killer clown video game, some kind of driving shooting game. I forget what it's called, but that was another one that I played. And then when Madden started doing openers with rappers, yeah, and then it just like lit on fire again. Because I, I still, we, would, we would play it just to listen to the ludicrous opening. Right when that when that first one came out, and it was just like, oh, Madden, they know 
that like <laughs> this is hip hop. This is like black culture. This is like our thing. Like we 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 felt like we uh we had ownership over like the we felt yeah. a part of the Madden brand. So that was like were you a part of those conversations when that was happening or no I wasn't part of those conversations. But I do know very, very intimately the people uh-huh. involved in those conversations and it was by design. I mean the the you know EA Sports was a and still is, but back then was a was a lifestyle brand. Mm-hmm. Right? It was a lifestyle brand for the streets. You know, it was being run by and the decisions within it were made by a really young group of savvy people mm-hmm. who understood how to tap into uh, what was happening in American culture at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still thankful to know some of those people today and they're, they're excellent people. They're really wonderful people. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I wasn't in those conversations, but uh, the conversations that I was part of though were the conversations happening on the other side of the Atlantic about FIFA, mm-hmm. right? Because F- yeah. FIFA did exactly what you're saying, but for Europe and for Asia. Um, and so uh, generally Europe. And so I was thankful to be in, in some of those conversations and uh, mm-hmm. we, we did the same. You know, it mm-hmm. was, they, those, are day, those are days of speed, man. I mean, mm-hmm. those are great days. Mm-hmm. Again, but it's, yeah. just, it's just right place, right time and saying thank and working hard, having intuition mm-hmm. uh, and seizing opportunity. That's, that's it. You know, I, I never heard of FIFA until I got to college. And then when I, when I watched them, my freshman suite, that's like all they played. And they've yeah. been playing for they've been playing for years. People was like always on. It was, and I was like, they did the same thing. Did they? Did you ever dabble on that? And you got spanked on FIFA, or did you? By that time, yeah. you were like, I'm not going anywhere near a control. Yeah, no, I was just like, you know, I watched it. So like these games, though, yeah, like Madden was a part of my childhood, and FIFA that transition from high school to college. You're, I was away for the first time. Yeah, FIFA was like always around. You know, very important right. part of um, college culture. And so, so you, you sort of occupy this interesting space because you, uh, I mean, you came up within the company, you, you've had C-suite positions at a few different companies. Your background is, is like, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's like, you know, around marketing, telling stories, managing people, getting, getting things like together and communicating effectively on time. The, the storyline around ascending in tech is mostly, it, it comes off as like, you need to be technical. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, is that true? Do you think that perception exists? I can see how that perception exists. I mean, although I, I, I think people mistake often you have to be technical for you, you have to understand the product and they're different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am not technical, mm-hmm. but I understand the product. And, mm-hmm. and so, and that's probably a fundamental for success in any category. You have to understand the product and you have to understand it, how it works. And you have to understand as well. And this is where my value I think comes in as a marketer is, uh, I have to understand the difference it makes to people, right? Mm -hmm. What solution does it provide against a challenge or a need? And how does it do that? So that's different from being technical, right? I don't code. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to write code. Mm-hmm. can't do it but I know what code does and I know the impact it can have and I know how products are architected and the difference that they make to people in the world so yeah don't, I wouldn't confuse you have to be technical but you have to understand the product people a lot has happened in 2020 
you know, everyone just transitioned to remote working. Hey. <laughs> well, let's start there because I mean, I, I kind of jumped over a lot of your career, but I don't want to keep you past our a lot of time either. What yeah, is- I'm smart, I do have to, you have to go because my son's got a lesson that he needs to go to. If, uh, so yeah, I would gladly stay. You know that. Yeah. But- I gotta go. I gotta go and wrangle some kids, man. <laughs> I get it. It's okay. What has the transition to like shelter in place been like for your business, for your family? For the family, um, it it was a novelty. It was a strain. It's become normal and rhythmic, right? Just because of the length of time we've been able to do it, and. Then, and this is the other reason why, because I'll come back to it, you asked about the business. You know, the business is um, generally on an aggregate level, not impacted. You know, we, the, we, we, we make a wonderful tool that people use and maybe the adoption of that has slowed down a bit over time because it's harder to make business happen. But yet we also make um, oper- you know, services that allow games to... Uh, operate effectively either within monetization engines or other back-end services and people are playing more games so there's just more and so i say all of that because the business is good and of course that has it that has an impact on me and my family i can only imagine what it would be like in another world for so, and what it's like for so many people and actually it sorry just to carry, carry on a little bit before, before you Steve, I, I have more time for me, mm-hmm. you know, I don't commute. I get to spend more time with my wife, more time with my children. I get to make them lunch when I can. Sometimes I mean, right? I get to draw a hard line when I can go, you know what? It's 6 p.m. I'm going to stop now. I'm going to close this laptop. I'm going to get the family's there. I'm going to go and spend time, you know, and luxurious, luxury of luxury. I get to spend time with, on me, mm-hmm. you know, Touch wood, I think I'm the fittest I've been because I get time for me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I know that I am, and I'm thankful that I'm in a positive position because of all of this. And I've been able to make positivity out of it versus the, just the sheer issue for many other people. So I'm, I'm, I'm thankful daily. I have one final, I have one question about uh, your career. Then I'm going to do the rapid round to close this out. So oh, I can, rapid round, rapid round. Um, well, yeah, after after this question. Right. <laughs> um, so what was what was your what was your hardest moment in business? So so let me let me tell you first. I'm not very good at off at answering kind of favorite this, hardest that. Okay. You know, it's hard for me to separate out one thing for anything that people ask me. Favorite movie, what's your hardest moment? What's your thing? Because uh-huh. because it is what it is. Life is what it is. It's a tapestry. I love it. Uh-huh. I will say to you though that you know I spent I think I spent a couple of years at Zynga, which is where you met, met me. Uh-huh. Um, we, we had plans and I think we didn't achieve those plans. And uh, that, that was a hard moment because it was hard because we, you know, I think we let people down. Uh, I know I let people down. Um, I let myself down. And um, that was a hard moment for me. But I would, I would do it all again. Mm-hmm. Right? So yes, it was hard, but it, it was, it happened for a reason, I'm sure. And it made me better. So, but it was yeah. hard. It was really hard. That's a good perspective. Um, wrap it around. You ready? Uh, I, I don't know. To ask me in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's rock. All right. 
Um, do you meditate? Sometimes. Transcendental. Do you have a motto? No, but I like seize the day. What personal weakness can you forgive in someone? What personal weakness can I forgive in someone? I, I think anything. I, I can forgive. I forgive people. Sorry to give you a broad answer, but I can forgive people. I, I, there's, yeah. Your house is burning. Your family's out. You have to grab three things. What do you grab? Um, I grab the photos of my uh, uh, deceased father and stepfather. Um, I grab the dog. Did you say dog? Did you say animal? Is the animal I gone? Didn't. I, I, did. I, okay. grab, I grab the dog and I grab uh, my father's watch that he gave me uh, uh, as he died. This was Clive Downey, the good homie, my friend. Uh, I had a short interview because I want to let him get to his kids, but beautiful story. <laughs> uh, beautiful journey. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much for spending the time. They're always, always great. Peace, peace. And thank you for listening to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning. At Cook on Monday Morning, we are building lives and make us excited about Monday morning. We believe that if you can own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you can own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. It was a great honor to have my big brother and good friend, Clive Downey, on today's episode of Cook on Monday Morning. Uh, we've been through a lot together. Uh, I learned a lot from him. I continue to learn from him. He's such a generous person and uh, has like such incredible charisma, uh, but deeply insightful also. So I appreciate him taking the time to be with us. I hope you got to learn some stuff from him. And um, thank you again for listening. Please share the podcast with a friend if you haven't already. Uh, help us grow this online community of doers, please also take a minute to subscribe to uh, the Cook on Monday Morning Podcast and rate and review it on Apple when you get a chance. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast, I wrote an article. It's called How to Start a Podcast During the Pandemic. You can find the full article in the description box. There's also links to books and the equipment that we use. So I hope you find that useful. Cook on Monday Morning is a product of the Luther Harris Holding Company. At the Luther Harris Holding Company, we work to create partnerships that drive social impact. Uh, so we build partnerships between business and government. We also do recruiting of diversity talent to high impact roles. And we really help companies drive impact in the communities where they do business. If you'd like to learn more about that, you can email me. It's uh, info at steveoncook.com. I'd like to thank the people that make this podcast possible. Uh, our videographer, David Topete. Thank you, sir. And our copy editors, Fernando Cinco Marquez and Devin Sketchinger. So I get up every morning with the intention to create value and showcase my love to the people that keep our cities moving. They are our teachers, school lunch workers, custodians, nurses, uh, and nurses. They are our employers, the folks keeping our economy moving and growing. They are our gig workers, stocking our shelves, driving our ride shares, delivering our food to all of you. This podcast is for you. You live in places like San Francisco, Oakland, Richmond, Antioch, San Mateo, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Miami, Orlando, the Carolinas, Virginia Beach, Milwaukee, Kansas City, 
Cleveland, Detroit, Harlem, and Brooklyn. Uh, shout out to all of our listeners also in Nigeria, Ghana, Jamaica, Kenya, and Ethiopia. To all of you, this podcast is for you. This message is touching the world and will continue to because of you. Until we meet again. Peace, peace, and we out. <laughs>